We are going to be uh, continuing talking about this idea of Sabbath. Um, This is really the first time I've ever preached on this before. I hope last week was meaningful to you. And as we continue to, to talk about this, it's going to be kind of... And I want you to kind of hold these things open in in this way, you know, um, the wisdom of finding a day of rest in terms of just the the depth and quality of our spiritual formation in Christ as we seek to be, um, as Paul said, walking by his spirit, right? Uh, Living a life guided and directed by his spirit. Um, The wisdom of Sabbath keeping is, is crucial, but of course there's elements of this that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all days of the week also have their application and meaning for us. And so by holding those two things open today, we're going to be looking at Sabbath as a delight. Sabbath as a delight. I think there's a lot in this because America is a land of pseudo-delights. Pseudo-delights, you know, delights that are wrapped in cellophane, Right? Um, easily accessible delights. Uh, we, in our, uh, really just in the Western Hemisphere especially, you know, we, we really excel at making, you know, uh, the, the cheap delights really price-wise cheap and really accessible. I mean, the cheapest thing in the grocery store are the, you know, the, the sugar cinnamon buns, right? That's way cheaper than a bag of apples, Right? How do we do that in America? Well, we figured it out, and we did it. Right? Um, it's weird because as I was thinking through this, just just biblically looking deeply into scriptures when it comes to delight, and I just realized, you know, how how easily accessible these things are in our country. But you know, really, we're we're really untrusting of easily accessible things every every other area. Right? I mean, so maybe you've seen yard signs on street corners walking around that says like, "Make two thousand dollars a week." Working part-time from your home, no experience required. Who trusts that? That's right. You, you probably need to pay them, you know, 200 bucks to do it, and they'll never call you back. That's how that goes, right? We don't trust that. We, it, it sounds too easy, right? But that's really what uh, the American way, you know, what I like to call the gospel according to the ShopRite magazines before you check out. Everything is, you know, this five-minute workout and look like this guy on the front cover who obviously works out two hours a day, but you can do that just in five minutes a day. Quick, easy results. You know, that kind of thing. It's just our whole culture is just inundated with this. Um, And and the things that we create um, become more and more easily accessible. And uh, especially in our digital saturated world, these things are actually becoming uh, things that, that hijack our brains. I was reading an article in Forbes magazine um, by their senior editor, John um, Costier, probably mispronounced that, and he was speaking with a um, professor from USC, Dr. Julie Albright, on the rise of TikTok, right? This is a really young, you know, company, but it's been, I mean, by the hundreds of millions every year growing. Like it's almost, it's this phenomenon that we've never really seen the lights of it anywhere else, really, in terms of something created that caught on that fast. Um, hundreds of millions of new followers every year. She was explaining how, you know, how this works and how our brains get hijacked with something like TikTok. And it's the same reason why people can get addicted to casinos, right? Because you, you find yourself in this endless search. 
but there's like a differentiation because not everything you view you really like, but maybe the third or fourth you do. But then you, you know, look for the next thing, so you scroll past two or three things you don't like and the next thing. And it's just like your brain just wants to go on the hunt. It gets in like hunting mode for the next thing that will deliver the thing that you're looking for, which is really just like a dopamine shot of laughter or something really silly. But then you just keep searching, you keep searching, and then an hour later you're like, what just happened, right? You just kind of shake it off, like I just got lost chasing a carrot on this thing, and they hijacked us, right? It's so easily accessible and it hijacks us. That's just one example in our, in our technological, you know, ever-progressing world that we, we tend to create and produce things for the very purpose of the quickest, most convenient delights. And somehow we just kind of accepted that and we trust it and we just kind of let it into our lives, not asking much questions. Um, C.S. Lewis actually said this because all, all these things, all it points to is, is this, or all, all that it's created, it's created because they, everybody who, who creates these products know that we, we, we are creatures of desire. Um, you know, one of the overarching things we're going to see throughout the summer is we talk about just these spiritual practices to cultivate our life in Christ. Um, much of our uh, uh, spirituality, if I can say that word, um, it, it it really begins with our desires. That's kind of the origin point, right? I mean, so often when Jesus uh, healed somebody, you know, he, he asked before he, he ministered to them, what do you want? It's an interesting question from Jesus. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Right, I mean, he's God in the flesh. He knows what, you know, he knows the answer, but he, he's, he's kind of asking him to pause, like, what are you really seeking right now? What does your heart really want from this? Um, C.S. Lewis had this to say, and this was, you know, many decades ago, 50, 60 years ago, or more, really, I think it was probably 60 or 70 years, but here's what he had to say. It would seem, there might be in the slide behind you here, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when the infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. And so if we keep in line with this, looking at the biblical wisdom of, you know, of a Sabbath, okay, um, not as a law, but as wisdom, and this idea of it being the place where we can resist culture. We talked about how Sabbath keeping is like the punk rock with the spiritual virtues or the, this, the practices, right? It's like we're resisting here. This is what we, what we do. We, we are resisting these things when we enter Sabbath as a delight. When we find a river, the river of life that God even offers us today and we jump in and swim in his river while we jump out of the cheap rivers of delight that our culture tends to throw at us. And this really takes some training on our ends. Um, and this is a, I can use this analogy. When I'm at, I'm at, I met my wife 16 years ago and, and Tuesday, we're actually celebrating our 15th anniversary. So that's great, 15 years. Um, I, was, uh, I was fresh out of the bachelor lifestyle of Hot Pockets, 89, anybody remember Hot Pockets? Are those even around anymore? I don't know, okay. 89 cent frozen dinners, oof. Are rough. 
slurp down with the Mountain Dew. I mean, drinking a pot of coffee a day. This was me. Like any other bachelor, you have no clue what to eat. You just know that's 89 cents. And I'm broke, and I'm going to eat that. So I meet Alexandra, on the other hand, and she's on a steady diet of, I mean, this isn't mean, but like, you know, we used to call it like rabbit food, like, like real food, like actual real food, you know, like vegetables and, and, and fresh fruits, things that we would have dirt on it, you know, you have to wash it off to eat, it's like real food. And initially I had no interest, I'm like, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, but she definitely had no interest in my Hot Pockets. And so I was the one who entered into kind of the training grounds. I was like, teach me your ways, Alex, teach me your ways. Because I really didn't feel good. Like there's a lot of, <laughs> I had some health issues in those days, surprisingly, right? And so, uh, you know, she, she helped develop my palate, taking off of the microwave goodness of Hungry Man XL dinners onto the freshness of strawberry kale salad. I can never get the Hungry Man XLs to fully get hot, you know? The middle was just soppy cold. But this is what Sabbath is for us. What it can, what it could be for us. It's an opportunity to turn our delights away from so many of the cheap things of what our culture offers and to redevelop our palates, the palate of our delights, to enjoy the very things that God takes delight in. All right, Genesis one twenty seven. Just a reminder of who you are before we, we, we walk down this path. Genesis one twenty seven. God created man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female. He created them. If you want to learn how your heart, when I say heart, like your soul, like the, just your your inner being, like what makes it really truly tick and flourish. And, and uh, if you experience the anxieties or the stress or frustrations in life and you know there's something more out there and you want to know like what, what can really fulfill this, well, look to the one who made you in his own image. He has the best ideas about how to find fulfillment. And especially in the conversation of delight. Because we yearn to delight. We love delighting in things. We love delighting in activities. We, we, we yearn for that. And especially as Christ is our example, as the one who became man, who became, who took on flesh himself through him, through his life, death, and resurrection, he's made available to us just access through his spirit to God. As Ephesians 2 says this, we have now access to God. And so what we can do now is say, Lord, what delights you? Lord, help me to learn and to, you know, and to delight in the things that you delight in. What are those things? And, and if we learn to do this, we will begin to find life. I mean, capital L kind of life. So um, to begin with, let's just start. Like, what are the things that God delights in? And what does Sabbath have to do with this? Well, um, there's a really important connection. In Leviticus chapter 23... Um, you have a list of ancient biblical feasts. And you can read that. It's a whole long list of them. Um, Feast of Trumpets, Shom Kippur, the Feast of Tabernacles, all these things are there. And it takes place all throughout the year. Many of these feasts are, some are more mournful and somber, repentance of sin, where you're fasting for food. Many are celebrations, uh, a lot of them are celebrations of the beginning and end of harvest. You know, like, Lord, look, you provided for us once again, and we, we give this food as an offering to you, and on and on and on. But you know what the first feast that is mentioned 
is. Let's read Leviticus chapter 3, 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. You shall proclaim his holy convocations. There might be appointed feasts. What's the first one here? Six days of work shall be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath, a solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work as a Sabbath to the Lord. So what's the first feast? The first mini holiday, if you will. It's the weekly Sabbath. I said it last week, I'll say it again. This is a weekly holiday. It's a weekly feast that God has gifted to us. We're going to see, continue to explore the wisdom of, of taking something like that. It's a mini holiday of, of delight, of feasting, of resting, and enjoying the very things that God enjoys. Um, in Isaiah 58, 13 through 14, God, he, he commanded his people to take delight in this day. We read this last week too. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day is honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, and you will find joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights, on the land, the feast, the inheritance. So this day can be called a day of delights. Now if I asked you and I said, do you like holidays? I'd be shocked if somebody said, no. You mean the days where you don't have to work and, and you stay home and lounge in your jammies and eat food? And No, I don't like those days. Of course not. You know, We love holidays. And there's spiritual brevity and wisdom in this weekly one. And again, we're looking at delight here. In the day of Christ, people took the idea of Sabbath and made it a burden. A huge burden. If you read even American history, the Puritans and these people, like they still took the Sabbath as law. And it was just, you know, it was more about what you can't do on Sabbath. This, this, it made it into something if you didn't do, you sin. And, you know, and this is the same thing kind of in Jesus' day. Um, his biggest critics were the ones who saw him doing work on the Sabbath and, you know, pointing their finger. But listen to how Christ described this in Mark 2, 23 through 28. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain, getting food. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of presence, which was not lawful for any of the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Without going too deep, the, only, the idea here is that he's pointed them towards the heart of this that came from the very heart of God, saying, God gave you this. It's not some burden to be enslaved beneath. It's a gift, is what Jesus was saying. It's a gift. We're taking food and enjoying food and even doing a little cooking on the Sabbath. Not a big deal. You're, you're finding the heart of it. So um, enjoy it. And even Christ himself, he says, I'm even a higher authority than this Sabbath idea. I'm even the higher authority. That's why in Emmanuel, we don't treat this conversation as a command to do. Right? If you're a member here, it's not like you take a Sabbath every week. No, you can't be a member. Like That's not what we're talking about here. Okay? Rather, Christ being a higher authority than the Sabbath, we take the wisdom of Sabbath as a spiritual practice. I want you to think of Sabbath, okay, as we talk about delight here, like this is like a, um, uh, many of you do gardening, maybe springtime, maybe some of you planted some stuff, like you got tools, you got a little shovel, you got a little mini shovel you use, you know, 
The tool helps you to cultivate things, okay? All, many of the practices we'll look at this summer, including this idea of the wisdom of Sabbath, that say shovel as we cultivate our life in Christ. Does this make sense? It's a tool given to us, okay, to engage and to go digging deep in order to find more and more of the wonders and glory of Christ that we may walk in the spirit more and more. So knowing all of that, um, what are the things that God delights in? Okay, what are the things that God delights in? We're going to look at a handful of things this morning. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is God's delight in this world. All right, so bear with me here. Psalm 104, listen to this. It's on the slide behind you here. Verses 24 through 34. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is a sea great and wide which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both great and small. There go the ships and the Leviathan which you formed to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and they renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Verse 31, right? May the Lord rejoice in his work. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Read the parables of Jesus. They're just inundated with images from, from nature. Right and farming and, and constantly just filled with images, friends. There, there is an avenue here, okay. And just hear, hear me out. Where I think it's a biblical thing to say we need to have some practices of escaping our digital world and being out in the wonders of nature to enjoy the glory of God, because that's something that He delights in. Okay, so um, science actually talks about this. Okay, that uh, they're discovering what what happens to us when we're outside. Um, and I don't think this is by accident because if I understand what these scriptures are saying, um, we, when we go out there, we actually get more glimpses and tastes of the glory of God. Um, did you know the anxiety and depression right now, they're all time high, especially in our young people, but also in adults, right? Um, dozens and dozens of peer reviewed papers say, you know, yeah, there's medication and things to help with these things, but one of the greater, most uh, easily accessible things that can really bring healing to us is simply going for a walk outdoors the american psychological association studies have shown how time and nature gives everything from behavioral benefits to the improvement of working of memory cognitive flexibility it helps to get our attention under control it replenishes cognitive resource it resources decreases stress it can heal mild to moderate depression just from going for a walk in the woods the heavens declare the glory of God, but like an intentional walk, like you're going to say, Lord, show me your glory. As I look up to the sky and see the clouds and hear the birds sing, they're singing worship songs to Christ. Show me your glory, Lord. 
Um, many of you know how precious and special Winter Tour is for our family this past three years since you lived here. Um, it's just a place where, it's just a, a beautiful place where we, as a family, we engage this in worship of God just by exploring the grounds there. Uh, Brandywine Springs is another place where we go, and there's little swimming holes in the river there, and our kids love to jump off the rocks and just go for dives, and it's wonderful to see them play. And we, we intentionally, as a family, engage nature as an act of worship, as an act of delight, because God delights in that. So we're trying to develop our hearts to say, this is this is beautiful. I find God as I'm out here. I see evidence of his glory. Um, there's a, uh, one of my favorite authors, Wendell Berry. I speak of him often. I read him often. He would take long walks on his farm, taking his one day off each week and would just write just reflective notes as he observed nature around him. As a Christian, they were often just inundated with these ideas. And this, I want to read this poem because I know I don't care. I love poetry. You can judge me if you want. I could care less. I'm going to read a poem. Can I read a poem to you guys? Because this is beautiful. Okay, listen. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. And it's short. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. It's beautiful stuff. God delights in his world. They declare his glory. One easy practice we can do, take time to delight in it and delight in the things that God delights in. The second thing that God delights in is his children. Psalm 147, 10 through 11. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is his pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Again, the much uh, powerful, this is an amazing verse, Zephaniah, who's read Zephaniah recently, right? It's a little tiny book in the Hebrew scriptures, but listen to this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with, loud, uh, with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God exulting over his children, singing a song of delight. Now that will be quite the song to hear, friends. So what's the implication here? It means if we seek rest and seek to delight in the things that God delights in, don't do it alone. Do it with others. Whether it's, uh, it's your family or having people over into your home, if God rejoices and takes delight in us, then learn to take delight in his children. Jesus, if he wasn't teaching uh, in front of a crowd of people, he was often reclining at a table with a bunch of people eating food. He was there all the time. And he was even with slight sketchy people. You know, the people was like, why is he eating dinner with those people? Right? He, he took delight in God's children. Those who were freshly seeking out, even if their lives weren't in order, right? They were seeking after him. God takes delight in them. Jesus took delight in them. Um, take delight. Don't, don't do this Sabbath idea practice alone. Don't, don't go week in and week out without spending time intentionally 
with those that God delights in, with your church family here. We're going to have a sermon later this summer and focus on hospitality. But just know this, okay? The, the easy, cheap delights that our uh, culture tends to develop and to create, it really primarily has you in mind and not us, if that makes any sense. What I mean is um, technology as it's further developed has the tendency to pull us in isolation from each other. We replace face-to-face contact with social media, right, or with texting, you know, uh, we're terrified of answering phone calls. Like, I ain't answering, I'm going to text that person. Like, they're calling me? I can't talk to them with a phone. I can text them, though. Like, we're replacing, it just makes communication more and more less, uh, less and less relational, and we're just getting more and more distant from one another. My father-in-law speaks of how um, they live in the beach town in New Jersey and how before cable TV made it in the 90s, um, all the tourists and everything in the, in the uh, people who live in the community, like there was mini golf and little fair kind of rides, and they all just in their evenings were out t- outside, hanging out, talking, being with each other. And as soon as cable television hit in the mid 90s, all that stuff shut down because people quit going out and being with each other, and we're in isolation, right? That's just one example of how technology can tend to push us in isolation. Um, it's, it's, it's why, you know, on these days of rest, perhaps the whole day or parts of the day just maybe voluntarily fasting from that and filling that time with people because God delights in people. So learn to delight in the people that he delights in. We're a church family, right? Just this past Friday, we had um, Jeff and Christina over. I think they're here somewhere. Um, where are you? Oh, there they are, up there in the balcony. Yeah, we, we laughed, we spoke of Jesus, we had more solemn conversations. Jeff helped me fix my table saw in my garage because I had no idea what I was doing with it and I messed it up. Um, Alexander and Christina were in the house. Our kids were hanging out together. It was a night of delight, right? And when you experience that, it's just simple times of delight with God's children, right? You're sharing in a delight of God. You guys tracking with me so far? You guys here? Okay. The third thing scripture mentions that God takes delight in, it is love and righteousness and justice. Let's, let's read this, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. And here we go. Who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. God takes delight in love and in justice, and in righteousness. So maybe practice that one day a week, carving out some time to go and serve someone. Find a local soup kitchen that's open one day a week. Uh, there's many in a congregation, in any church congregation, but ours, you know, there's people are regularly sick, and sometimes they have seasons where they're more or less stuck at home, and go visit them. Because God loves, he takes delight in justice and righteousness. Go and spend time and pray with them. Take delight in these things. Go and serve those who are in need because those are acts of justice and love. In their book, um, Around the Year, by the Von Trapp family, you know, the the Sound of Music family, um, they spoke how they were discipled by their own uh, priest. They were a Catholic family 
when they had law, kind of Sabbath-keeping law in their own family, and they transitioned to delighting in it and loosening up the burden of it. And, um, and they were discipled into this. And, and their, their priest said, I want you to understand that this is an opportunity for you to, to extend and to live in a day of mercy and grace towards those in need around you. All the many things that can be, he said, take time to, to live this day graciously and to, and to uh, extend grace to others. And so that's what the Von Trapps said. They said, as we learned to do this, as we started going to our, you know, our parish, our congregation, and seeing who was sick and visiting the sick and serving them, it became a training ground that even the children, that's what she said, even the younger ones knew that to visit the sick and to help the poor on Sunday, that was when they practiced their Sabbath, it corresponds to the character of this day as a day of mercy. And this practice of visiting the sick and serving the poor while practicing this day of, of rest. Um, for centuries and centuries in church history, people have been doing this. So go and serve someone on this day. And you're cultivating the very heart of Christ as you're sharing in the things that Jesus did as he lived. And ultimately, this is the final thing we're going to talk about. God's delight is in his son, Jesus Christ. His ultimate delight is in his son, Jesus Christ. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened. He saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Through Christ, the spirit was given to us so that now, as Paul said over and over again, if you are a Christian following Jesus, you're in Christ. So now we live um, spiritually in Christ. We're living with Jesus-colored glasses, right? Seeing all things through his son. That's what the Holy Spirit is always spurning us to do, is to, is to embody Jesus Christ in our own bodies, to live in the very ways that he live, that through him, through the Holy Spirit, having access to his Father, right, and learning to then, um, uh, opening our hearts up through his Spirit to share in the things that God delights in. All these things take place in and through and only through Jesus Christ. As he even said, I only do the things that are pleasing to the Father. He himself experienced these things, and he, and he, he wants to share in the very joy that the Father has for us through him. Um, through his spirit. So uh, we're on the back end of our sermon now, and I want to um, uh, kind of start summarizing a few things here. Um, we will continue to speak of ancient Christian practices um, in this sermon series for some time this summer. And this is what I want you to drill in your brains as we, as we do this, okay? Because I want, and this is the, the cry of my heart, right? And I'm taking new steps in my own life I've never done before to, to cultivate these things. Um, to experience, not just know, but to experience the joy of life in Christ. I know a lot about it. Like I've read this book so many times, so many times. I've been to school for it, and many of you have been to school for it. And you, 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 many of you have read this book longer than I've been alive, and you know just every page of what it says, but I'm not asking you if you know the joy of Christ. Have you experienced the joy of Christ? Because this is why this was given to us in the first place, not to stuff your head full of knowledge, but to be the avenue by which the Holy Spirit, you can actually experience what these biblical authors wrote down and wanted us to have 
is available to us. That's why Jesus came, right? If we are a church that truly believes that the kingdom of God has come in Christ and this already not yet kind of tension that yes, Jesus is ruling and reigning among us, but we're still awaiting for that reign to extend to the ends of the earth. But nevertheless, today we can truly experience through his spirit, a glimpse of life as it is in heaven on earth today. And thus through these practices and through practicing uh, delighting in the things that God delights in, that will begin to spill out into the days of our week. Not just on that one day, you know, that day of rest. It will begin spilling out as it becomes a way of life for us. It provides us a delight that begins to permeate all of our life to where even if hard circumstances were to arise in our life and we've been trying to train our palates to get off the Hungry Man XLs and back on the carrots and they've, you know, kale salad. Like if we're doing that and we're intentionally saying, I've got to make sure I'm taking time to develop my palate to delight in the things that God delights in, even if our circumstances in life, because we know that they go up and they go down. Sometimes there are times of peace and rest and sometimes just life is full of pressure and intense pressure and, and, and uncertainty and sadness and in mourning. And you're saying, okay, I want to practice delighting in the things that God delights in and even engaging the actions of of doing the things that God delights in. But man, life doesn't seem very delightful. What will be the result? How, how How can I delight when life is so difficult? But in practicing this, you will find a delight in God that supersedes all of those things. That is available to us even when life is prosperous and life is not prosperous. I want to look at Psalm 4. It's a perfect example of this. It's a short eight psalm, eight verse psalm. Let's read this. This is from David. Listen to the tone. I love the psalms. If you want to learn to pray, want to learn to share in the heart of God, just pray through the psalms. They're wonderful. Verse one. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Anybody ever start off a prayer like that before? You know? How long, O men, will he turn my glory into shame? Here's his complaint. Here's his his struggles. How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Selah, pause, reflect. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear him when I call. In your anger, do not sin when you are on your bed. Search your hearts and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. Listen, you have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. Verse 8, I will lie down and sleep in peace, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When David is surrounded by less than ideal circumstances, distressful ones, people mocking him, uh, people even as he lies down in peace and safety, there's even people apparently after his own life. If you read David's story, that was a common thing that was happening to him as king of Israel. But I want you to focus on verse 7. Maybe it's still on the screen behind us here. As he talks to God, you have filled my heart with greater joy. Where'd the joy come from? 
you have filled my heart with greater joy. David didn't conjure up a joy just kind of like of his own strength here. He opened himself up to the Lord and the very joy of God filled him. An alien joy outside of himself was then given to him that even as he is in these less than ideal circumstances, he says, man, your joy has filled my heart. And it's such a joy that even is greater than if I had a huge meal or the best of wine or whatever it might be. This joy supersedes all those things. With the result in verse eight, this is what I, this is so great. I will lie down and sleep in peace. Peace? That doesn't sound like a very peaceful situation. Sounds pretty rough. You already lost sleep because of anxiety before? Yeah, of course we have, right? David had a lot of reasons to be anxious that he says, no, this joy that I was given, this delight that was God's and was just shared with me, I can sleep now in peace. Because why? For you... Lord, make me dwell in safety. He knew that God's hand was so close to him. He knew that God's presence was so close to him that he said, I know you're with me and I'm going to sleep now. I always laugh at the story. It's remarkable. Uh, Winston Churchill, they, um, in the middle of World War II, you know, like London was getting bombed. It was just, you know, a time when you would imagine if the leader of a nation getting bombed in a world war, um, sleep would be hard to come by. You would think. This guy would sleep for two or three hours every afternoon, just take a nap. Just every day. And uh, the king asked him, how in the world do you nap? Like, I can't sleep. And basically his, his, his words were, there's a providence of God that's in control that I know that I'm ultimately not in control. So I sleep. It's not up to me. I sleep. Right? It's amazing. That's kind of what David's talking about here. That's what David's talking about. I want to compare that with another character, then we'll close here. Uh, Genesis 28, Jacob was on the run, okay? Jacob, the, um, the, the, the grandson of Abraham. He's on the run because he had swindled himself through lies and deceit to steal his brother's blessing from their father. His life was in danger. Uh, he was by himself running through the promised land that was yet to be given to his family. So he laid down, got a rock, put it on his head behind him, and ended up having this elaborate dream, right? This, maybe you heard of Jacob's ladder, right? Genesis 28, this ladder is back and forth from heaven. Angels going up and down on it. God is at the very top of the ladder, speaks down um, to Jacob as he's asleep. And it's more of a vision than really only a dream, right? And I want to focus on when he wakes up. Verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. What I want to argue as we close here is that we learn to share in the delights of God. We're going to find ourselves just as surprised as Jacob was to wake up and say, wow, I had no clue that God is in this place. I didn't see him. But now when I'm learning to share in his delights, you're going to be just as surprised as him as you begin seeing his hand all in your life in ways that you just weren't even visible of before. You'll be able to see his love and his, his kindness in your life that just surrounds you. And it was your palate's just untrained from the cheapness of, our, of what this world has to offer. And it gets developed with delighting the things that God delights you. Realize when he said that I am with you, I'll never forsake you nor leave you. Realize he really meant that. And he really is 
with you. And that's what I want you guys to pursue is learning to delight in the things that God delights. You'll find yourself waking up like Jacob saying, wow, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. So I want to call um, uh, Joel up at this time as we want to enter a time of prayer and response. And soon we'll close with a song of worship.